And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, Merry Christmas. Today we celebrate the birth of our dear Lord, the day he chose completely out of his own volition to take on flesh and become man. And this is a marvelous thing. This is worthy of our praise and contemplation, not only multiple times a year during Christmas, but every week, every Lord's Day, every time we gather, we sing a Christmas, no, we sing the Christmas song, the Gloria in Excelsis, which we sang together, the song from heaven. And we confess Christ's virgin birth in the creed each Sunday as well. Not a Sunday goes by that we don't contemplate the very incarnation of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Christmas sermons are so difficult to write, not because there's not much to say, but because there's too much to say. So after writing two other sermons and then throwing them away, I've decided to stick with this one. Uh, And the words of John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. So I want to take those up in order. First, that the word became flesh, and then second, that we saw his glory. All right, so first, let's consider the fact that the word became flesh. And I'll start with a background story here. When I first went to seminary, I was caught off guard by a lot of things in a good way. I learned a lot throughout the years, but when I went into the seminary, I didn't really know much. Uh, My best friends now, uh, who are all pastors, uh, know this about me, and the the ones I trust the most who helped me become Lutheran uh, and get the most out of seminary know that I went there not knowing a thing about the liturgy, not a thing about the hymnody, the catechism, many, many things. So I stuck out like a sore thumb in many ways. Uh, Anyway, while I was there, during my first week at the seminary, we all come together for chapel four times a day, Uh, but uh, we we came for chapel on on the main uh, service, and and then also I went to, to church on Sunday, and we got to the part in the service where we said the Nicene Creed. And as I was reciting it, there was a specific part, a moment when the entire church, men, women, and children, they all slowed down and then they bowed down from the waist like this, leaning over. And I was there standing straight up wondering what was going on, not knowing what was going on. So it was the entire sanctuary was lowered by a foot. You can imagine this all together. There there must have been 300 people there and they all just lower. And then I was caught off guard and I was like, what is going on? What is this? So I went back the next Sunday and the same thing happened. And then finally I paid attention to what they were doing, uh, when they were doing it and what they were saying while doing it. And while the entire church was reciting the Nicene Creed, there was a specific moment when they all bowed down from the waist, sort of like bending over when they got to the words and was made man. I thought, my goodness, these people believe this stuff. This is unbelievable. 
It made me realize how deeply significant and profound these words really are, that other Christians would lower their heads, their entire bodies, when they even hear and utter those words. I hadn't seen such reverence before. Uh, you may notice that I've done this ever since I've been here at Zion, since my first Sunday each year. Uh, I try to bow a little lower than I did the year before. Uh, but you might notice that in the creed, I, I lower myself. And that's because I've, I've taken that with me. Uh, you'll notice me bowing down when we get to that specific part in the creed. Now, I think that's the intent of John's words here in uh, John chapter 1. It has this great buildup saying that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that in Him was life, that He was the true light of the world, so on and so forth. And He builds up to these words, this crescendo, and then He says, and the Word became flesh. <laughs> and when we get to these words, it is marvelous, it's overwhelming that there's hardly anything else we can do at that point but just bow our heads at the great wonder of that thought. God was made man. God became flesh. This word is none other than the second person of the Holy Trinity, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, who is one substance with the Father. He who created all things, he became flesh. The one through whom every single thing in the universe was made, where all matter comes from. He is the one who dwelt among us. The one who made man became man. The creator became a creature. That's what's going on here today. And the word that John uses here today is became. He became flesh. That's critical. There are some false theologies out there that would say that God appeared in the flesh or appeared to be flesh. And we Christians can use this language. We use it in our hymns uh, and, and scripture talks this way. The epistle reading spoke that way today. Uh, some people say that uh, Christ simply, uh, however, uh, that he simply appeared on Christmas, appeared to be a man, that he wasn't actually a man. But even in the Old Testament, the Son of God appeared to people. And these are called theophanies. That's God showing himself, appearing to people. But that's not why we're gathered here today. This isn't simply a theophany on Christmas. It's not a simply an appearance. It's not what John is talking about. And the same goes for the phrases that God took on flesh or that he assumed the flesh. And these are beautiful ways of speaking. And our hymns uh, speak this way. And the scriptures speak this way. And, and the church fathers all speak this way. This is a great, wonderful thing. But that's not what John is getting at. If God simply appeared to be a man, then he can disappear as a man. If he simply took on flesh or assumed it, then he could take off that flesh or unassume it. The flesh is nothing then to him but a coat or a costume, a shell that he's just wearing for a temporary amount of time. It's not really who he is. It's just a temporary arrangement for a finite amount of time. But that's not what John says, what the Holy Spirit inspired these words to say. He staples this down in our conscience, saying, 
the Word became flesh. And that's more. That means that God incorporated the body of man into his very identity. He is now man. God is man. It is ongoing. This is undoable. It is a permanent thing. When God unites himself with the flesh and becomes man, this is not undone. Things have changed. Now, be very careful. Don't go too far and think that God has turned into flesh or that he changed completely into flesh. Uh, uh, That's not what the Bible is saying. It doesn't say that God changed into flesh. It says he became flesh, and that's a big distinction. If God changed into the flesh, then that would mean that he's no longer God or no longer the Word. But but it says that God didn't change into the flesh. He became flesh. He is still God, and yet he is at the same time man. He's 100% God and 100% man at the very moment, at the same exact time. This is a mystery that confounds us. So uh, you can imagine, just to help you understand this, well, not understand this, but but, uh, confess this. Uh, You can understand and and imagine that uh, the Magi, as they come bringing their gifts to uh, to the Christ, to the infant child. And uh, they, 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 they come with their gifts and they see Mary and Joseph there and Mary's holding the baby and, and, and then she puts him in the manger. And then one of the Magi says, so look, Mary, you're saying that this baby in that manger where animals slobber and feed is the one who was running the universe? That he's the one who was ordering all of our days. That he was the one who was governing the world and ruling the stars above us in the heavens. And now he's a baby. To which Mary would politely reply saying, no. No, he was not running the universe. He was not governing the world. He was not ruling the stars in the heaven. No, he is. He is running. He is governing. He is ruling the universe. Do you see that? While he is in the manger, helpless there at, with the arms of Mary, he's holding the stars in place above and ordering the entire universe, opening his hand and satisfying the desire of every living thing. That is what is happening here this day. It is remarkable. My God, what a thought. What a thought that God would want to do this. Okay, now that we're all on the same page about what's happening here on Christmas, about Christ's incarnation, we need to speak about the second part of the text and we know the first part, the word became flesh, but now we consider the second part, that, he, that, that we beheld his glory. Well, what is his glory? What is John talking about here? Do you think John is talking about the transfiguration when Christ reveals uh, the, the, some of his divinity and his magnificence is shining through the pores of his flesh and he's shining like the sun on the mountain? Or do you think that John is talking about the miracles that he witnessed Jesus do, that he sees a, a man who is dead and he raises him from the dead or he feeds 5,000 with a, pe- a couple pieces of bread? Or do you think... 
that John is talking about the resurrection of Christ and that that moment he, Christ conquered death and hell and he burst open from the tomb. Do you think that is the glory he's talking about? That's what I thought at first for many years, but I was wrong. I was wrong because whenever Jesus talks of his own glory, he never talks about shiny moments or miracles or mountaintop experiences or great feats of victory. When he speaks of his glory, he's speaking of something else entirely. In fact, later in John uh, chapter 12, some people went to Jesus and his disciples reported back to him. And uh, they said, look, we want Jesus. We want to see your glory. We want to see how magnificent you are. We want you to prove it to us. We want you to show us your divinity, your power and your majesty. Just show us a glimpse of it. And how does Jesus respond? What does he say? He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he goes on to say, truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That means Jesus is saying this. Look, if you want to see glory... If you really want to see brilliance, then stick around for a little bit and I am going to show you glory like you have never seen it before. Just wait. The hour has come. So what goes, uh, and Jesus goes on to say, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this very purpose, I have come to this hour. What is this hour? The hour of his death. The hour that he is raised up from the earth and hung on a cross. And this is absolutely stunning. When John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and we beheld, we saw his glory. He is saying we saw God made flesh and die on a cross and remove our sins we saw his glory. And this is what God wants you to know and believe in your heart. That the moment of his death is the moment of his glory. Not the heavens, not creating the world, not being worshipped by the angels, not ruling over the earth, not separating the sea in two. No, the hour of his glory was when he was hung on a cross, bleeding out, dying in pain and anguish. And this Zion is deeply humbling. It's deeply humbling because it reminds me that in order for God to save me from my sins, he had to undergo and go through the very depths of degradation. He had to endure the cross, burn in the wrath of God, and die a most shameful death. But for him, for him, he doesn't think of it this way. He thinks of this as his crowning achievement. 
It gets no higher or more glorious for him than that. This was the moment he was thinking about. This was the purpose of this day, this Christmas. This was the purpose and the thing he was planning for, preparing for, putting in place, ordering all of creation around this one moment. It's the very thing he dreamed of knowing that by it, by his humiliation, he would gain you. That is why he calls it his glory. Because it is the most joyful day of his life. He knew the pain of the cross, but for the joy set before him, that is you, he gladly endured it. So dear saints, let these words settle into your heart and find a home there. The word became flesh for the singular purpose of gaining you. And he was happy to do it. And he would do it again if he had to. As happy as you are this Christmas, he is even more happy than you are because he is yours and you are his. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. <clears throat>